Welcome, everyone, to Season 3, Episode 91 of the Premier Pod. I'm your host, Yash Pika, joined by my co-host, Tyler Chan. In this episode, we have the special Transfer Deadline Day show. We are the new Fabrizio Romano. Just kidding. Uh, we don't have those sources, but hopefully one day. But it's um, it's 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 going to be a fun show. We have the Transfer Deadline Day is today. It officially ended, I think. We are in the U.S., so... Um, using like, you know, looking at the time it ended in the U S at six o'clock. So obviously all the transfers and such cannot be done until the winter transfer window, which is only a couple months from now in January, but the deadline day was today. We'll be talking about that, looking at some clubs that made some huge signings, some big deals going on. And obviously talking about the crazy weekend that was in the Premier League where literally Manchester United and Liverpool conceded six plus goals in one weekend. Um, completely wild. But to start things off, we have to look at uh, some clubs that made some notable transfers during this uh, deadline day. Uh, first of all, we got to start with Arsenal. It is Partey time. They finally signed Thomas Partey um, for 50 mil. They paid his initial, they just paid his release clause. Um, basically, in La Liga, everyone knows where you, if a player has a release clause, you can just go to the La Liga headquarters, pay, s- sign the check for the uh, for the fee. And then you can start talking with the player directly. And I think um, Arsenal leading up to today were kind of going back and forth about whether they want to get him or, you know, they were trying to bargain and Atletico made it clear that they weren't taking anything less than 50 mil. So finally they coughed up the money and Thomas is a, Thomas Partey, excuse me, is an Arsenal player and he is an excellent addition to the midfield because he is a player that they have been crying out for for years, a legit legitimate box-to-box midfielder a guy that can break up play very easily he's very silky on the ball he can pass he can get forward you know he can beat people with his skill I mean he's got it all he, he can do pretty much everything and he's a powerhouse like he's a he's a brick you know he's a he, he's so powerful in the midfield so I think it's it's a huge upgrade for Arsenal considering that they've been consistently playing Xhaka or Ceballos in the middle of the two or um, El Neni, and they've tried signing players to be like Thomas Partey, but I think Partey is going to be one of the best signings Arsenal have made in probably the past 10 years. I mean, he's going to be amazing for them. So kudos to Arsenal. That was a good signing from you guys. This is going to be a, a lot for Partey to really take in. He has a lot on his shoulders because he is like the main you know, solution, the main key to Arteta's tactics in that center position role that center attacking mid the cm the cdm you could play anything over there he's better place as a cdm in my opinion mm-hmm. but i think he'll slot right perfectly there instead of jaka or i don't know i Sabios. think they want to keep sabios but yeah this is definitely a great move but this is there's a hidden hidden i guess not curse but just consequence to this they they bought parte but at what cost <laughs> everything they got rid of the man behind the creation of Gunnersaurus, their mascot, as a way to reduce costs. And in my opinion, that's like one of the worst things that could have happened for Arsenal. Like, this is such a big morale killer because Gunnersaurus is such a big, like, <laughs> it's like just ruining morale. It's, it's kind of like taking away Klopp hugs from Liverpool. It's how are you going to, how is Arsenal really going to bounce back from this? And also on top of that, Torreya got loaned to Atletico Madrid. In my opinion, Torreya is an excellent player. Lucas Torreya 
kind of plays the same position as Partey, which is probably why he got sent to Atletico. And ironically, he got sent to Atletico and Partey comes from Atletico. So I guess that kind of softens the blow for Atletico losing Partey. But I mean, that's that's kind of big in terms of depth because, you know, knock on wood, if like Partey goes down, it's like, well, <laughs> I guess we have to bring back El Neni or bring back Jaco. But I mean, just having Partey is going to be big, but at the same time, just you have to also take into account how much they've lost. And just mm-hmm. Gunnersaurus, like, what the heck? That's to me, that's like a weird one to kind of bring up. But at the same time, it's like they're cutting costs to the point where they're getting rid of someone, someone who's been at the club for 27 years, like the man behind that. It's like, do they yeah. really have to go that low to do this? It's like, yeah. really? They, they also, Arsenal, I've not been, well, this isn't the first time they've done this in the beginning. I think of this window, they are during the height of the coronavirus. Um, pandemic when there was no football being played, I think they cut uh, the the wages or the salary of the backroom staff and laid off a bunch of um, backroom staff workers um, to save and cut costs. And a lot of people were getting on Arsenal um, and they eventually had to reverse that and they, they saved some jobs, but they they caught on to Arsenal and the Stan Kroenke and such about how can you as a club that's this worldwide, well-renowned, how why do you guys have to save you know, this little money when you have players that are just riding the pine, making, you know, 500K or 350K a week, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so Arsenal definitely have not been the best in terms of PR about all this stuff because it's not a good look when you have to let go of some of these other backroom staff members that are part of the club, but may not, you know, they're obviously not the players, but they're the ones getting um, getting the axe while some of these uh, players are riding the pine and still getting paid like, millions of dollars of wages each year you know yeah some of our uh listeners <laughs> that are arsenal fans like cho he was he kind of mentioned to us he's like the game's gone like exactly <laughs> the game's <laughs> gone stan Kroenke, also the owner of the la rams he has yeah. this kind of pedigree for not really putting some of the staff in you know the best situations and kind of going kind of a more cost harsh yeah and he's like worth eight point three billion dollars it's like come on now yeah <laughs> it's like like yeah i mean it, it really makes no sense sometimes um mm-hmm. with these owners about why why are they making these decisions when they make so much money already you know um, man well one day yes when we own a, a football club hopefully we can be better owners i know <laughs> we'll, we'll, bring, in a, we'll bring in a coach like ted lasso help yes us out. <laughs> <laughs> bring in i mean bill o'brien's out of the business right now so uh <laughs> bring him in but also oh, on a random note, Gwen Doozy yes. was uh, loaned out to Hertha Berlin. His yeah, wages were, man. yeah, the attitude man. He's finally being let Axed. go yeah. just for at least a year to Hertha Berlin, and his wages are going with him. Yeah, Another way to, I think, yeah, I think that's how they are. They were also able to um, finance the Partey deal. That that's why they didn't sign him so early on in the window, even though they always wanted him, is because they were trying to get um, Hassam Awa Awa from uh, mm-hmm. Lyon. But Leon eventually just said that they're not they're not gonna they're not letting him go. And um with Guenduzi's wages gone, Torea's wages gone, it helped free up um some money so they can allocate it towards the parte deal. So yeah, they needed to get it done. And I, I'm I'm kinda happy they did because Guenduzi, I know a lot of Arsenal fans like Nathan, uh, Nathan especially was really, really happy and was really excited about his future last year. But obviously with all this attitude problems and 
kind of like how he's just like kind of a hothead and not that fun to play with. It makes sense why Arsenal want to let him go, especially Arteta, who's like a seems like a very like team guy. And it's like with Arteta, I feel like it's one of those where if you're not part of the team or you don't want to be part of the team, then, you know, you have no place to be here type deal. So it, it'll be interesting. I wonder how well Guendouzi will play in Hertha Berlin, though, in Germany. Yeah, I know they're missing Gruich, who's mm-hmm. staying on Liverpool. So maybe he's going to take over for that. But we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. But, but Guendouzi's gone. <laughs> yeah, when Doozy's gone, but I think overall, I think Arsenal did pretty well. I mean, losing Gunnosaurus is a hard, hard, um, hard thing to let go. But you know, you know, like 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 we said, they signed Party, but what at what cost? So I yeah. think they did pretty good for a transfer window, and especially this whole window. It was talked about how they didn't have money to sign anyone, and they've made some pretty good deals here and there. But going to Aston Villa, this is a team low key that has made a lot of good signings to help them stay up in the Premier League. Um, and the signings they've made have taken the pressure off Jack Grealish to basically be the number one one-man creator. Um, I think Wilfred Zaha is looking at that and being very jealous because he's like, man, I've been in Palace for like five, six years and they still haven't found me like a secondary guy that I could consistently go to to take the pressure off me. Now Villa have um, players like Ross Barkley, Ollie Watkins, a striker, Emiliano Martinez, um, goalkeeper. Um, they signed Birch and Troy as well. They've signed players that can help take the pressure off Jack Grealish. And maybe um, even if they don't create all the time, because I think I still think Ross Barkley is kind of hit and miss most of the time. But now that they have multiple players that can kind of hit you at different positions, now it's not like you can center your entire game plan around stopping Grealish. And if you stop Grealish, Villa's done. Now Villa have multiple people they can rely on or at least go to to help free up Grealish and such and I mean I'm just I I have to give it to Villa this is some good dealings and I think they've done a really good job of improving the squad and adding quality and depth in the attacking position stuff that they needed last season Um, and they've just done a really good job of adding that quality and depth and Emiliano Martinez I mean that's a heck of a goalkeeper signing because he was so good for Arsenal and now you have someone like that in the back and Ross Barkley, you know, I think this is good for a good move for him in his career. I think getting consistent game time maybe might let him help him at least live up a little bit to his potential. Um, so I, I like what Villa are doing. And I think Villa did a really good job this window of solidifying themselves in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. All right. This is a completely different Aston Villa side to yeah. the beginning of the start of the season even because like we were both kind of pegging them to get relegated straight away. And then sure enough, they just make all these great transfers. And then we're going to get to the Aston Villa Liverpool game later on. That's going to make <laughs> me cry. But I mean, they're like a whole different team. Like they're one of the only teams with a perfect record still in the Premier League yeah. with three wins, no losses like with Everton too, of all teams as well. So I mean, Aston Villa are really doing a good job. They didn't have to make any transfers in the transfer deadline day. So it is a little weird to mention them for this particular episode. But I kind of want to say that that also is a kudos to them because now they didn't really have to panic or make any last minute transfers as some of these other teams were going to mention. <laughs> one, yeah. one notable one. But um, Aston Villa really had a game plan and they really stuck through it. And now their team's really rocking on all cylinders. So kudos to Aston Villa and kind of making us look bad. <laughs> I know, I know. But moving on to Chelsea, they didn't purchase anyone during the transfer deadline day, but they did loan out um, another player that you probably um, 
probably forgot that was actually still in the books for Chelsea's uh, Timohue uh, Bakayoko, who was originally from AS Monaco way back in like that 2016-2017 season when they made it all the way to the semifinals or quarterfinals with Mbappe, Lamar, you know, that that yeah, crazy squad. Champions League. Yeah. yeah, Benjamin Mendy, like that that team that basically got raided afterwards. Fabinho was on that side as well. Um, yeah, he's basically been a flop. He's just been running around on loan everywhere. And now he's finally going back to Italy again, but this time with Napoli. So it'll be interesting to see how he kind of gets on there. But um, Chelsea also loaned out a ton of other players. I think Zappa Costa went out on loan. Um, I mean, I, I don't have the full list with me, mm-hmm. but they... They're just doing the normal Chelsea thing where it's like, we don't actually sell you the player. We're just going to loan them out forever. And then hopefully they develop in that time soon. But it, it'll be interesting because I know Chelsea, Tottenham were in talks to sign Rudiger um, and such. But Chelsea ultimately did not let Tamori or Rudiger go on loan. Um, and they're keeping them. So, um, you know, Chelsea did most of their stuff earlier in the window. So they didn't really have to worry too much on deadline day. But mm-hmm. yeah, oh. Bakayoko is off to Napoli. I would say the Tottenham-Chelsea relationship is not very great. I think yeah. neither team really does much transfers with each other anyway because of just the rivalry and just, you know, if you go back to that Chelsea-Tottenham game during yeah, the Leicester City <laughs> season when they won, there's that game where uh, I believe Tottenham got eight yellow cards, nine yellow yeah. cards in that game. So, I mean, it even goes all the way back to that. But and then usually Mourinho they don't... being the manager, former manager at Chelsea... That too. There's so. not exactly like super good blood between Chelsea and Mourinho. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, unfortunately for Rudiger, I guess he's just going to stay in purgatory for a little bit longer. Yeah. Because this was his time to move. But, I mean, at least for him, it's just two weeks or two months until the next transfer window, no. which is kind of crazy to say. That is the cool thing about this window because now, um, at least for a lot of these fringe players, they could be like, well, now they don't have to be like super panicky and forced to move out to like some random club with some random coach, you know, now mm-hmm. they can at least wait it out and be like, okay, I still have January and it's only two months away. I can just ride the pine for a little bit more, you know? That's also crazy. That's like the end of the year <laughs> for 2020. This, this crazy ratchet year or wretched yeah. year, but here we are. <laughs> but yeah, no, Chelsea, uh, Chelsea have done all right, but moving on to Everton, I think they've made some, interesting signings on deadline day they signed ben godfrey from norwich uh center back and they let out um they loaned out moise keen to psg which is interesting because i remember when um duncan ferguson was the interim head coach and moise keen was a player obviously i remember that one instance i think it was a manchester united game where he was subbed on in the 75th minute and then subbed off at like the 80th minute or 85th minute and a lot of people were predicting that was the end of moise keen and then um, Carlo Ancelotti comes. I thought this was going to be the n- next coming of Moise Keen, but it just really hasn't worked out for him. I think I've heard that there's been problems with like his attitude and such, getting him to train properly. Um, so almost similar to Balotelli in a sense, where it's just he has all the talent, but maybe not you know nurtured the right way to fulfill it. So I don't know how much this move to PSG is going to help him because – it's not like he's going to be starting because there's no way you can start him over players like, you know, uh, Neymar, Mbappe, and such. So I, I'm I'm curious to see what happens to Keane um, at PSG and whether he actually gets on and does decently there. Because mm-hmm. he was super high rated, at least when he was at Juventus. And yeah, and Juve like, let him go. So it makes yeah, you think. It makes you think. And then even Everton now are letting him 
go on loan at least. And it's like, you don't want a backup? <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, we, we have someone else. But I mean, that's a lot of question marks, a lot of eyebrows raised for Moise Keen at least. And, mm-hmm. you know, to go over the other transfer they just brought in, Ben Godfrey, the center back from Norwich. This is a very interesting one because the the glaring hole at least or at least issue now for Everton is their goalkeeper Jordan Pickford. Pickford has made a few errors already this season despite them having a perfect start to the season. It's been something that's been kind of crutching them the past several seasons where it's like will Jordan Pickford ever kind of fulfill that potential that that promise of being one of the like best four, keepers. 4 or 5 years now. Yeah. It's still and the same issue. The same issues of him just making a lot of, you know, silly errors and things leading to goals. And all he really has is that big kick of a leg. It's like mm-hmm. having Ederson's leg, but then that's it. <laughs> it's not yeah. really that great of a keeper unless he's playing for England as a national team player. But mm-hmm. for Everton, it's not really the same. So I was thinking they were going to get some more depth for the goalkeeper position. But I guess kind of helping him out more with having some more depth in the center back position might be good too. There's a lot of competition now there with, I would say, three starting center backs already kind of rotating in now based on injury. But Godfrey, they paid $30 million for him at least. And that's a little bit above his market value. He is young. He's 22. He's younger than me, which is uh, probably why. (laughs) Yeah, that's probably why he's that expensive. But I'm like from Norwich, like even when Norwich was in the Premier League and Godfrey was playing, I was I never really yeah, had like Aaron's. a thought. I was like, man, this guy's good. It was, Aaron's, <laughs> it was a defender, Aaron's. So I was like uh, on yeah. the radar for everyone. It was never Godfrey, so I don't know. Who, we'll see. I don't think he's gonna be the starter. I think he's maybe gonna be on the bench for a little bit, but who knows? Maybe Ancelotti sees something that we don't. But this is a uh, somewhat yeah. questionable for me, at least. I, I think it's um I think it's kind of risky that they didn't try to I know that so they were in talks to possibly get either one of Paulo Gazaniga or Serge Romero from Manchester United or Tottenham respectively but I think the problem was that Everton were looking to loan in the keepers um either one of them for one season and both clubs were looking for permanent purchase and the deal didn't end up getting completed um for me I think that's just kind of ironic for Everton because you had $30 million to spend on a center back. Why didn't you just use that money to buy a good um, established keeper that could at least put some pressure on Jordan Pickford to possibly be the number one, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, I've seen Pickford in the in this entire season, the first four games. I mean, he's looked very shaky. Um, oftentimes, like, even before this season, there's been so many times where you can literally just shoot it straight at him, and for some reason, he won't handle it correctly, and he'll, like, palm it out to the left or right side. He just won't catch it. Or he'll do really questionable things instead of like punching it out. He'll do try to catch it. He's just made anyone that's watched Everton has seen that Pickford has made really weird, irrational mistakes. And Everton fans I've seen on Twitter have been kind of sick of him too. So I think it's kind of a massive risk, especially if Everton really want to gun for top four. I don't know if Pickford is the goalkeeper to secure top, help you secure top four with because I know they've been getting away with it recently. Because their attack has been so good, but eventually, when you play a really top side, well, you know they're the Merseyside derby's coming up. But when you play the top six, like the really top teams, I I don't think you can get a keep getting away with your goalkeeper making a mistake once per game. I think it, I think it will cost them. So mm-hmm. it's a massive risk for Everton to have Pickford in goal right now. This is already a prediction for the Merseyside derby, but it's gonna be the same 
thing I'm going to say for Chelsea Liverpool that match. I'm like, as long as Kepa's in goal or Pickford's in goal, Liverpool have a chance. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. you know, a mistake is going to happen at least once. Exactly. So, yeah. I, Pickford's it, not the biggest fan of our podcast. <laughs> yeah, I don't think most goalkeepers are, but I know <laughs> we kind of roast them. But um, there, uh, there's a couple other teams I'd like to mix in Fulham and Leeds here. Like Fulham brought in um, a couple of players, but one notable one is Ruben Loftus Cheek on loan. Interesting fact here: I don't know if a lot of people realize this. Lu- Ruben Loftus Cheek is actually, I believe, 25 or 26 years old, or 20, yeah, around 24 to 26 years old, which is crazy. Because I feel like every time we talk about Ruben Loftus-Cheek, it's about him being a young and up-and-coming English player that's supposed to be taking the next step one of these days. And I just didn't realize how old he is. I mean, I'll, I'll leave that out to you, Tyler. I think that's a pretty fun fact that I don't think a lot of people <laughs> realize because I didn't realize it until today. I was like, dang, he's that old? You know what's the sad part is like Ruben Loftus-Cheek, he's 24 years old. He's born the same year as me. So... <laughs> We're both old now. It's like <laughs> you're you're crossing the border where you're no longer like a young prospect with high potential. You're like just getting into the range of where you probably will end up in terms of like your ceiling or like you know. And yeah, there's your not career. much like a a potential anymore. Yeah, it's just like you're kind of almost there. And like, yeah. dang, that's like me in real life. <laughs> it's like we're there <laughs> at 24. So. Ruben lost his cheek. He might be going into the team that he might end up at permanently. Or maybe just if he's on a bigger team, it might be a backup. But I don't, I think at this point, there's not really too much promise behind Loftus Cheek. It's like, oh, maybe this get him now and then he'll be a big star later. It's like, I think this is what you're going to get. What you get is going to get. Yeah. And yeah, I just thought that was so interesting. I mean, maybe it might work out, but like, I mean, I think it's probably his most successful season in the Premier League was that season he went out on loan with Crystal Palace. And then after that, it's just kind of been, you know, off and on injuries have just plagued his uh, plagued his career, basically. But mm-hmm. um, moving on to Leeds, Leeds actually signed Rafinha. Um, I believe that's how you say his name, yeah, right? Rafinha from Rennes for um, around 20 million pounds. But Tyler, you did the math and the calculations. They've spent up to 100 million pounds this summer which is yeah. wild. That's a lot of money for a new Premier League side. Dude, he also knows how to spend that money. And also, Rafinha is a very good buy from Rennes because now it gives him a little bit more firepower at the front, which is what Bielsa has been looking for. But also at the same time, he's not like one of those players that I feel like is like a risk. It's like, oh, maybe he's going to be good. Maybe he's going to be like a star. It's like this guy for Rennes has produced like even the last game he played for Rennes right before he transferred this past weekend he scored a goal and assisted a goal so it's like he's already still performing at that level I mean he's not gonna be like a superstar at least that we know of but he's not gonna be like a risk where it's like oh he's gonna tank well let's hope he's not like Sebastian Allaire who thought who we who we both thought was gonna be pretty decent um (laughs) striker coming from Germany and then just completely flopped with West Ham that might just be a moist thing. <laughs> I, <laughs> I still believe in Hilaire. Hilaire is like, you, you, I don't know, for Frankfurt, he was just a, a top player. And he was able to do some things, like some flicks that I'm like, man, someone like that is like Ibrahimovic level kind of flexibility. I'm like, hmm, I don't know. But <laughs> at least for Leeds and Rafinha, this is going to be a really good buy. He's a right winger and I think he's going to slot right in. I don't think he's going to be like, Hopefully he doesn't pull a Rodrigo and like do something <laughs> his first game that gets him benched 
but um, I think this is a good. I don't know if he's going to go straight into the starting eleven, but we'll see. Yeah, I think we'll um, I, I like watching uh, Helder Costa. I think, yeah, Helder uh, Costa. He, yeah, he he currently owns the um, the wing position right now, and I I really like the way he plays. He's just super. He fits the Bielsa style very well, and he was with Bielsa in the champions championship. So I I think it'll take some time for Rafinha to get acquainted, but I mean, a quality player is a quality player, so they're gonna they're gonna fit in. Mm-hmm. It's not gonna take too long for them to fit in. And a hundred million pounds worth yeah. of players. That's a that's Fulham level spending. Is, I was about to say that's Fulham level, but so hopefully, you gotta be, I don't know. They they definitely look a lot better than Fulham. Yeah, uh, definitely. I think they've spent it a lot better too. It's not like they're buying a bunch of old washed up players that that had all this potential, and you're just buying them for the name brand to sell some jerseys. These are actually good signings. You know whether people know who they are or not. They're they're good signings. So despite Rodrigo sitting on the bench, I still think that's yeah. a crazy good signing. Yeah, and they have a better manager too. That's Definitely true. Have a much better manager, but yeah, that is crazy that a team that gets promoted to the Premier League can spend upwards of a hundred million pounds. That's insane. That's wild. <laughs> uh, but Poor Manchester on, United. <laughs> or uh, quickly talking about Leicester. Well, quickly they um, uh, Rian Mars two point Not really. Um, Remy Gazal um, is on loan to Besiktas. Uh, I know Tyler, you mentioned this, but it was funny. I remember when they sold Riyadh, um, when they sold Mares finally to the city, they bought Gazal, and everyone was like, dude, this is literally Mares 2.0. And then everyone realized this guy is not very good. <laughs> yeah, he instead became like Mares 0.5. <laughs> yeah, the, the great value the brand. The great, great value, value brand. brand of Mares. But and like expired great value brand. <laughs> Not even like fresh. Dude, we're just like <laughs> just hating on some players tonight. But it's true though. Unfortunately, Giselle did not perform and become the player that everyone thought he hoped to be. It, yeah. it didn't pull out to be a second Mares, a second coming of Mares. But we have Bashik yeah. does he can get a little bit back. You know, Gazal did have a pretty hefty tag to him, like 20 million pounds. So mm-hmm. this will be hopefully a way for Leicester to maybe rekindle some of that money if he does well and maybe goes to Besiktas. But we haven't really seen him much in the Premier League even after he's come to Leicester. So, I mean, right now, I don't even think he can get in that starting 11. So I wouldn't be surprised if like this is like a beginning of him leaving. So, yeah. Yeah, they I mean, definitely tried to pull some cheese with like signing Gazal, maybe getting a new eighty million dollar player right there. <laughs> but you can't, you can't win all of them. Eventually, you're going to strike out on some. So that's true. Gazal was definitely part of that. Uh, one of those that just didn't really work out. Actually, I think a lot of those signings during that weird time period for Leicester didn't work out completely well. I think it was. Um, they had a couple other questionable ones that haven't really worked out, but um, others would- and such. They've done. They've done a lot better, but. Yeah. During that time period, it was a little weird for Leicester and so I will say now, a little off topic, but I I feel like the team they have now is better than the team they had after they sold Conte and uh, oh, Mara. Yeah, still, like it's it's not like it's not completely falling apart. Like they're I would say it's almost comparable to the team that won the league because yeah. the team that won the league on paper it wasn't very good. They yeah. just also had a very lucky season where everyone else also did really poorly. But I mean, this team, it's it has a lot of promise to it. Like it's not completely yeah. lost, and they have like some yeah, rising stars are still there. Yeah, when you're not trusting Christian Fuchs to be your starting left back. 
Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Like it's honestly Stinson's. insane how they yeah. won the league with those players. It's like, yeah, Jesus, those Luis. are just journeymen. They're straight up journey journeymen. Mm-hmm. Like Danny Drinkwater, no one knows where he's at anymore. <laughs> like no one knows. I um, believe he's a burnt. No, he's at Chelsea or burnt. One of the two. Like yeah. no one knows. Yeah, no one knows. No one knows where he's at, but it, it's questionable strategy. I, um, I guess we'll save. Um, I'll save United for last because I have some. I have some like hot takes in there, but oh I want to quickly mention. <laughs> I think Southampton uh, signing Theo Walcott on loan from Everton is a low key very good because I'm personally happy for Theo to go back to Southampton to his boyhood club. I think this will be good. Obviously, you know he never lived up to the potential that everyone put on him when he was 16 years old making his debut for England, um, you know, basically getting into that Arsenal team, scoring goals and such. He never really developed anything more than becoming like the, just the pacey player he was, but it hasn't really worked out with Everton. Hasn't really kicked on there. And with the way that squad is set up now, there's no way he was going to be starting week in and week out on that team anymore. So coming into Southampton, I think it's really good because I don't think the pressure will be on him anymore. I really don't think he'll be the number one option on the offense. Like they're definitely going to still go through Danny Ings. They have Jenna Poe. Um, they have Nathan Redmond. They have already a good setup of players that they rely on already. And I think Theo Walcott coming in here, I think he can, I hope this move help hopefully rekindle some of that magic we used to see from him way back in the day. Um, so I'm, I'm personally happy for this move. I, I think it's, it's nice seeing players able to go back to like their boyhood clubs and maybe, they're able to rekindle some of that magic. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. It's like Bale going back to Tottenham. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, Theo Walcott, he has, as you just mentioned, he's like, he he was one of those big players that had the potential to be one of the best, but then all he was was just pace. a lot of pace and then occasional good finishes here and there, but he just didn't he really striker. offer that much variety. He played striker for a decent amount of games for Arsenal. Yeah, he played striker at times and then he was mostly a right winger. Yeah or right mid because because of that pace but like I mean he didn't really offer that kind of clinical finishing as like say Michael Owen or you know Rooney he was just kind of there yeah. to finish off like a, a long run long ball or something like that because he just had the pace to burn but dribbling mm-hmm. like passing kind of things like that it just wasn't in his wheelhouse so it's just he didn't really have that much to offer besides like just what was on paper it's like oh he's just fast and can shoot but mm-hmm. maybe it's Maybe this will help him out. Going back to Southampton, he didn't really have too great of a Everton career. It was very kind of forgetful, in my opinion. Yeah, <laughs> so not very good. Who knows? We'll see. This is an older Theo Walcott, but maybe he can show the ropes to some of the younger guys at Southampton. Yeah, it'll be interesting. But uh, moving on to uh, quickly Tottenham and then Wolves. Um, Tottenham, they have put Ryan Sessegnon out on loan to Hoffenheim. Um, Serge Aurier stays, which is incredible because I thought with Matt Doherty coming in, I thought Serge Aurier was definitely gone, but it seems like, um, he's found a way to kind of stay in the squad and that provides more depth at right back. But I feel bad for Ryan Sensione. I hope he, I hope he can kick on at Hoffenheim because he was a talent for Fulham. And when he entered the Premier League with Fulham, he didn't really perform that well, or he didn't start consistently. The move to Spurs has not really helped him because he cannot get, into that starting 11 consistently. We don't know where he's going to play most of the time. It seems like most of the time now he's either played as uh, most likely as a left back, which is crazy because um, 
you know, what you saw in the championship was a left winger, you know, left midfielder, someone that was down on the wings, creating chances, creating opportunities. But hopefully this can kick on Ryan's career because he's still a young lad. So I want to, I want to personally see him kick on again because I, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see another talent just go through the wayside, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully this will be good for him. It was, it was pretty sad because it was just because of the situation he was in where, you know, Fulham, he couldn't really perform too well at in the Premier League. Because, yeah, and then they got relegated. And then he just got picked up on a good deal because Tottenham were like, ooh, free candy. And then uh, yeah. <laughs> he just picked right him up. Behind. And then he just couldn't, you know, he wasn't really nurtured the right way, in yeah. my opinion. It also because, didn't help. I think Pochettino got fired midway. Yeah. And you bring in a new manager who's historically been known to not nurture that many young talent or doesn't have the patience for nurturing young talent so it, it's it, it didn't it wasn't good optics for Sessignon mm-hmm. so maybe this could be it the, the Hoffenheim move the the big move to maybe jumpstart his career again but you know it'll, it'll be interesting to also see how another Englishman does in the Bundesliga because you, you've seen so far we got Jaden Sancho doing pretty well there and also mm-hmm. Uh, Billingham uh, now at even, Dortmund as even well. Even United States. Um, yeah, Gio Reyna. Gio Reyna, Weston McKinney at one point, now the at American Juve. Dream. <laughs> so Germany's been a really good league for a lot of talents to develop. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm ex- I'm excited. Hopefully, Sessignon kind of goes through and kind of fulfills that, I'd say, stereotype of the Bundesliga. A good, good stereotype to have. Mm-hmm. A good we'll league see. to uh, just a good overall league, but yeah. Um, we'll I let I let you Tyler talk about this one because I know you um you uh you you know a good amount about this player. <laughs> yes. So for Wolves. for Wolves, they just loaned out Ruben Vinagra. This is a interesting move in my opinion because he's like one of those young left mid left. I guess in Wolves position, they always have three in the back, so he would always play left mid, and he's one of those pacey players. And I thought he was going to be one of those up and coming, you know, stars, not stars, but like one of those starters for Wolves. And I thought he'd be like a staple, but, and we've seen him like get subbed in a few games, but he got loaned to Olympiacos. And I think it's because Olympiacos lost uh, Samikas to Liverpool this past summer transfer window. So maybe that's why they're letting Benagra go on a loan, but also maybe it has something to do with maybe Keanu Hoover getting a bigger opportunity to maybe get some playing time with Wolves, which is why I think they even got him in the first place. But it is mm-hmm. a little surprising to see someone, this Portuguese man <laughs> with so much potential, so much pace go on a loan. So that might be a key to kind of a foresight for what, um, Wolves are going to be doing with Keanu Hoover. Maybe Keanu Hoover, who is historically a right back or center back, would take over that role at left mid or maybe something like that. Or maybe move someone who is at left center back, like Saiz to left wing. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> and Olympiacos are in the Champions League, so this is a good... Uh, That's true. This, they this get that for experience them. for Vinagra. Yeah, some some more depth and stuff. But um, we are now at the point, we're talking about Manchester United, who had a pretty busy... Transfer deadline day compared to, I, I would say, probably the busiest of any European club, any big European club at least. They mm-hmm. have signed permanently Alex Te- Te- Teus. Teles? I just call him Teles. Te- <laughs> yeah, because it's not Teus because he's um he's Brazilian. Uh, I, I just heard the pronunciation a little bit earlier and excuse me, I have forgotten it, but I will get it right 
Um, so don't worry. And they signed <laughs> him for um, the the fee is around 13 million, 15 million pounds, which is a pretty good deal for a solid left back. And then they signed Edison Cavani on a free agent contract. Um, his wages have been basically been reported to like 175K a week. Um, they signed a couple of youngsters that have caused a little bit of controversy. So the first one is Ahmad Diallo from Atalanta, who is a young 18-year-old winger who they've reportedly paid around 30 to 40 mil for. Um, and he is 18 years old, and he's going to be joining the squad in January because of some work permit and visas that he needed to sort out. And they also signed another Uruguayan player, this time a young, um, I believe, winger from Uruguay for around the $10 million fee, uh, who is Facundo Palestri. Um, again, another project player. So I will kind of talk about the board a lot in the Tottenham Spurs rant or like the uh, the Manchester United versus Tottenham <laughs> the match. The upcoming Tottenham Spurs rant. <laughs> yeah, but the problem I think a lot of people, a lot of United fans have with this transfer window is and again it kind of just feels like a waste almost why the the problem i've always been i've always said is that there's not really really any type of synergy or any type of organizational structure when it comes to the board the manager and you know the backroom staff and everything it always seems like there's the coach that like there's the manager and then there's the board and the manager literally oligano solskjaer has been pleading for a right winger for this entire transfer window, like I need a starting right winger. I need, I need this. And the board has failed to deliver um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, those players. And I, I spoke about this before. If the board knew going in that their transfer budget was going to be slashed, why were we even targeting players that had transfer, you know, fees upwards of a hundred million? If we knew realistically, we weren't going to pay that much. Why do we even go out and, even attempt to sign these players so that that was the main problem because you know say what you want but you know player like managers like Klopp Pep Guardiola we're seeing with Mourinho at Spurs these top managers are getting backed by their backroom staff I remember at Klopp's really first full summer he got rid of a lot of players he worked with the you know the board you know he told them exactly what they needed to take the next step, got rid of a bunch of dead wood, brought in a bunch of players. They didn't spend, you know, upwards of like 50, 60 million per player. No, they knew the budget and they looked out and got players that were on the cheap or players that they could get good deals on. And they were able to build up the squad that way really fast. The problem is with Manchester United is we're seeing once again, we're going into the final day of the window or the final, yeah, basically the transfer deadline day again and trying to buy all these players and, you know, I'm happy about the Alex Teos deal. It's a deal we needed to make. We needed a left back. Cavani, okay, he's a free agent signing. It's not that big of a risk. But if you are talking about how you've scouted, I mean, they've they've said that they've been scouting players like Diallo and Pelestri for a couple of years now. If you knew you wanted to get them and they're project players, why didn't you just go out and buy them so early on in the window? Because they're project players. They're not players that can immediately go into starting a Levitt and make an instant impact, such as a Jaden Sancho and such. If they're project players, that that to me just screams that we don't, there's no organization, there's no type of plan in place. Um, because if they're project players, then you should have brought them in as early as you can because that gives them more time. Because they're young players, it gives them more time to acclimate themselves to England, to the manager, to their new mates, their new teammates, the new um, area they're living in. 
everything that you kind of need to take into account while uh, coaching up a young player. Um, to me, it's just kind of crazy how we're buying project players on deadline day. Um, and then we're making, then United United's board is making reports of, oh, we've been scouting these people for four or five years. I don't know. I think it's kind of ridiculous. And I think that's been the main problem with um, with United fans in general. It's just, you can, you, you can just tell that there's no real clear plan, especially buying project players. Why are we buying project players on deadline day? Project players are not meant to be bought on deadline day. They're supposed to be bought early in the window so they can be developed. So to me, that's just one of the many, many problems about United's transfer strategy. Yeah, I just get the vibe where it's very procrastinated. It's like you could have done all this stuff ahead of time. And then instead they buy four players on transfer deadline day. It's like when you see a lot of players coming in on the final day, it, it feels like they didn't plan well, or maybe they're hoping something was going to happen and it didn't go through. So it's like, this is their backup plan. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't feel right. It's like, and even as you mentioned where they wanted a right winger, like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer wanted a right winger. And it's like, all right, here's Cavani. <laughs> it's like, yeah. and mean, that's the, what the I don't right get. Winger, like, we know what? Cavani wasn't the number one target because if he was, he was a free agent. He would have been signed in the first month of the window being open. He was literally a free agent for anyone to take. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the thing. We're we're buying like our second choice players because we <clears throat> the board just doesn't know what to do with the um just really doesn't have a plan, a plan in place. And you know. I don't. I don't know. It's it's just so frustrating. I I I guarantee you, any United fan you talk to, yeah, we're a little happy with the transfers, but at the end of the day, we're still frustrated at the main problem, which is the lack of competency at the board level at this club. It's pretty insane, like in a bad way. <laughs> like why Manchester United are kind of going through their transfer dealings like this when we see other teams, like like we are giving so much praise to Aston Villa and Leeds, who just got promoted spending a hundred million pounds in just the summer and then Manchester United struggling to spend any money it feels like throughout the entire summer I just remember Yush just going off on them for not being able to spend money so it's I know a reoccurring thing I will say the Alex Telles move that will be a very good move in my opinion yeah, I, it's way better than Le- Luke Shaw <laughs> I was like dang how'd they get like one of the best Brazilian left backs from Porto onto the team for like that little money I mean that might be a little suspicious to also take into account it's like all right there might be something off about him but i mean for cavani as well for a free transfer he is a little old like around 33 34 he's 33 yeah so maybe that's why but i mean could you start him would you start him i mean they have to because uh marcial yeah maybe move marcial to right wing then (laughs) but i mean they needed to because he's i say what you want cavani's 33 but he's way better than igalo like yeah, we can all I, admit I that he's he's way better than Igalo. They needed depth, um, but you know I was listening to the NBC broadcast and they they made a good point. The Robbie um, Robbie Earl made a good point that um, compared to other clubs, this window United literally it feels like they've wasted this window because we um, I I know Gary Neville was talking about this that last season when they finished third they weren't really close to Liverpool or City. They were still very far away. But this window could have been a window where they could have taken that leap and got a little bit closer. You know, getting players, getting a new center back, getting a right winger, investing really deeply into the squad to create some sort of title challenge or some sort of 
you know, actual target and they failed. They've just, again, it was just like under Mourinho in the second season where they performed so well, they failed to give Mourinho the proper resources and the proper players and the extra investment he needed to take another next step forward. And because of that, they regressed so badly. And this season we're seeing the same thing um, repeat itself. And um, a lot of United fans like, all right, I'll, I have to say this. I did rant on Twitter saying, like, oh, Solskjaer needs to go. And like, yeah, maybe Solskjaer isn't the man um, to lead us to a title or lead us to um, a huge amount of success. But we will never know unless he's actually backed and given the players that he wants to go after or at least try to. Um, I know they signed these guys, but like, come on, you can't expect Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to like challenge for top four consistently when you keep signing him 18-year-old wingers or 33-year-old strikers and such you know he needs mm-hmm. to be given a chance and we've just seen that with every every transfer window it's just a new manager comes in they get him the the four three or four players he needs to start off right now he does well next season they don't get him anyone because it's like okay well you already did that much why do you need anything else and um and, and the that's the problem and then the fact that they take so long to get transfers done i mean so long I'm just baffled by a club of the size of Manchester United takes years to get transfers done. When you see clubs like Chelsea, Tottenham, Liverpool, Manchester City, when they want a player, they negotiate, they discuss, they get it done. You know, they they hassle, you know, they, you know, they you know, they talk about for a fee for a little bit, but at the end of the day, they get it done within a couple of days. United will drag this thing on for months thinking that we can get a better deal if we just wait. And we saw with Dortmund Teams, they know the quality of their players. They're not willing to let go of their price just because, you know, we want to wait a couple months. They're not going to change their price. So, I don't know. And it's also frustrating because if we have these owners that think that they care for the club, they would ultimately, at the end of the day, let go of their egos and let and bring people in that can actually take this club in terms of the -the on-the-pitch talent to the next level but that's the problem that the ego is just it's just we're just ed woodward is the puppet of the glazers you know as long as they're making money at the end of the day as long as the balance sheet shows a positive um net income the the board is happy the owners are happy it's nothing's going to change so it's frustrating i just don't i just don't know any other way where this changes because when you have so many former players social media like consistently calling out these owners and they're not changing it's just it's quite ridiculous how blind and almost um naive they are to the whole thing it's just shocking it's quite shocking i would say <laughs> it's it's really not great that also cavani's wearing the number seven it's like yeah. it, everything's kind of go against this transfer too where it's like it's a little bit cursed to have that number seven especially if you're south american these past few seasons mm-hmm. but i mean that's uh, that's all they got right now, and it kind of reminds me of like when you're playing fantasy football, and then you're the guy who gets bad trades the entire season, and then comes to it is is trade deadline day, and then all you can do is just pick up free agents from the from the market. It's like this is what you get. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately for Manchester United, this is how it's going to be for a little bit longer at least. I don't I don't know if it's really going to change. I mean, like I feel like Yush, this has been something that's been on him for. Like the years we've been talking, so I mean, I th- literally, you could go to the first. You can literally go to episode four, I believe, or episode five. <laughs> episode four. <It's> literally, <laughs> I, I, t- 
talked about it in episode five of the premiere pod. We're on episode 91. 91. We talked about episode four. That's two seasons ago. Um, about the same problem, about the lack of structure in the board level, the board being toxic. It's the same stuff repeating itself. And it's it's just amazing how it's just it's, it's been like this since Sir Alex Ferguson has retired. Um, a lot of United fans like myself are just frustrated. Um, we're just so fed up and it's just so annoying because we see our rivals leaping us in every every sense of the way um, each year because we fail to take advantage um, take advantage of the times and it's just it's frustrating. If someone can make an edit of Yush talking about Manchester United and this rant <laughs> from like episode four all the way up to like now. You'd have your own podcast episode. You'd have your own podcast. But also at the same time, I'm interested to see what how similar it would be throughout the entire time. Because it's like it shows the consistency from the Manchester United board. And then maybe you should have that be sent to the board and be like, huh. I don't know yeah. if they'd really if they'd listen, but at least they'd be like, there's proof. Yeah. <laughs> there's proof yeah. that they've been doing a pretty poor job this whole time. Yeah, and Tyler, you know, you can bring any other United fan on the show and they'll tell you the same exact thing. Any former player, former, you know, former player, manager, whatever, um, fan tell you the same exact thing that I'm telling you. Um, and it's just the deep frustrations of this lack of competency when it comes to the board and these transfer market and Ah, like you said, I just don't know when it will change. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, shout I, out to any of our Manchester United friends that maybe want to be a guest on the, yeah. the next pod. <laughs> Let <laughs> us know, and then we're gonna have a therapy session. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we this is where you just let it. it all out. <laughs> we definitely need it. But you know, I I'm gonna back these new players. I'm not gonna put put the blame on them because them coming here at the end of the day is not their fault. You know, it's not their fault. They're coming here on transfer deadline day. It's the board's fault so you can hear from me i'm gonna back these players especially the young guys i really curious to see you know what what they kind of look like and what the development process is so i i will back them i know a lot of united fans will still back them um but it's at the end of the day the frustration frustration is not out on the players it's more about the board um being incompetent but this is kind of a bonus round for our transfer thing we want to quickly mention um chupa moting one of our favorite players. Exactly. Used to be former Stoke player. Former Stoke player um, is now, can you believe it, at Bayern Munich. Literally transferred from PSG to Bayern Munich on a one-year loan. This is the man who's done the most Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. But I would say has he has literally been the definition or the epitome of fake it till you make it. I don't, even, I don't even know if he's faking out too well. I, he's I literally like the he's guy in the group project. <laughs> he's the group guy in the group project that does nothing but still gets an A. He, he just is, somehow just like finds a way to like sneak in. It's like how did he end up where he is? It's like I I feel like he's just been in the right place, right time. So I mean, kudos to Chuomoteng for going from Shaka to Stoke, and then from Stoke to PSG, and then playing a part of that Champions League final run team. And then now making it a one-year move, alone at least, to Bayern Munich. Like, who would have thought Chupo Moting would be in this position? Of I know. I remember people. when he signed for Stoke, we were like, dude, that's a pretty good signing from Stoke. And then we quickly realized, like, this guy can't really do much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then like, somehow he ended up at PSG. It's it, it makes no sense, but also we're just so proud of him. It's like, you, yeah. how how you done this? 
yeah how you did this how why what <laughs> it doesn't make any sense but i mean i guess at this point we got to get chupo moting jerseys because like this guy is literally doing it all like he's he it just makes no sense like i can't even like make a rational way of how he's done all this he's like how how he just has to be an incredible teammate at this point. I, I guess. Maybe he's just in the locker room. He's like one of the coolest guys. And, you know, maybe that's just what I'm not seeing. Because, like, all we can really see is what's happening on the pitch. Well, maybe pitch. maybe he's just, like, messy on the practice. practice. Yeah, field. maybe in the practice field. In training. It's like, holy and crap. Like, he's like, you see what Chupo game, did? Yeah, in the game, he's just like, what, what the heck? He's just missing open <laughs> goals at this point. <laughs> holy cow, man. I'm surprised um, we haven't seen, like, Chupo Moting montages on YouTube yet. But there, there is one where he like completely missed a sitter at PSG. It was a wide open goal, and somehow it didn't go in. Yeah, he, he just had to tap it in. It didn't go in. I mean, I have seen that, but it's like it's not like a Phil Jones level montage where it's just like multiple instances. So maybe that's why he's gotten away with it. But even still, he's at that Ruben Loftus Cheek level where it's like I, I feel like this is what you're gonna get. You're not really gonna get anything more from Chupo Moting, mm-hmm. but he's managed to be the, I guess, backup for these teams and maybe that's why he's going to Bayern Munich but yeah we'll see that was a bonus thought. that was a little bonus not related to the Premier League but a a former ex-Premier League player that has made a legend of himself yes uh, Premier, his, his, Premier Pod favorite yeah of his journeyman career but um, we have uh, two games that we needed to like uh, quickly discuss because literally Manchester United and Liverpool both got smacked this past weekend conceding six plus goals I've never seen in my lifetime that I've been a Manchester United fan, them getting beat 6-1 because I became a United fan 2014-15. So I didn't see the city smacking that um, that they put on United back in the day. Oh, I, I saw that. <laughs> um, I was like, oh my gosh. But I was very much different from what I heard was that it was basically United tried to go for it at the end and just got yeah. smacked. But this game, man, was an absolute disgrace. Harry Maguire, I'm tired, man. I tried giving you all the excuses, the benefit of the doubt. But man, you have not done yourself any favors this uh, this season and very much like the end of last season. You are a terrible defender. Um, you basically a refrigerator. And then Luke Shaw, man, I tried giving you the benefit of the doubt too, bro. But you are terrible <laughs> also at defending. Oh my gosh, I hate calling out these players because, you know, we're all human. We make mistakes. But gosh, these two in general just keep on making the same mistakes on the back. Um and you know, I tried taking, I tried defending Maguire as much as I can, but mm-hmm. goodness me, Maguire, even even since like the project restart, he's just been bad. Um, he literally gets you know nutmegged. I mean, I remember who was it from Bournemouth that just owned him? Um, it wasn't Callum Wilson. I'm trying to think. Um, I can't remember the name, but it was a Bournemouth player that just nutmegged him, shot over him. He's clunky. He makes really dumb decisions. He can't even do like a headed back pass correctly. He took out I, Luke Shaw in that goal that I know Belly scored. Literally he held back his own teammate from clearing the ball to Rosin Rosie. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on going on with Harry Maguire. He literally hasn't looked um, the same since Project Restart. Um, you know, I I just don't know. Maybe. Um, maybe he just wasn't that good to begin with and he just kind of got covered, you know, in his England career being in the back three system and stuff like that. But Luke Shaw, I don't know. He's he's hit that point where like he's the same age where um, 
of Ruben Loftus Cheek. And at this point, <laughs> Luke Shaw is Luke Shaw. This is basically what you're going to get. He can't really get any much better than this or get um, and such. So those two in general just were really, really bad um, in the afternoon. And Eric Lamella is an absolute disgrace for the Premier League. VAR, if you were going to send off RCL for slapping Eric Lamella on the chin, like not even really slapping him, like giving him a little tap in the chin, you have to send off Lamella too. Lamella, oh, I have so many bad words to say for Lamella, so I'll cool off. But yeah, I thought this was going to be a very censored part of the podcast. Where yeah. it's like, you just hear like a beep. Yeah. Like one of those. Lamella, mate, you got to. They, I, I just don't understand. I feel like VAR should have sent both off. I thought that would have been the fair thing. But man, Lamella really got away with one. And I I have a feeling Karma will come bite him in the back soon. Mm-hmm. I, I really think Karma will come to bite Lamella in the back. So for those who are a little unaware, Eric Lamella pulled probably one of the most methodical and most slowest descents from uh, a, a brush in the cheek from a hand I've ever seen where... He kind of faked an injury where it, it, it here's how I would make an analogy for it. It's like when a little kid doesn't want to go somewhere with their parents. So and so they choose to, you know, slowly sit on the ground and then choose to lay down. <laughs> so in like in a way to kind of show that they don't want to go. And that's literally what Lamella did in like a way to try to get Martial sent off and it worked. So like Lamella didn't even realize he could have faked an injury till he was on the ground and he decided to hold his face. <laughs> I was like, what the heck? Is he actually going to get away with this? And then he did. Martial oh got sent God. off Mar- straight Marcio red. was so mad. I wish Marcio, like, I, I wish if Marcio knew he was going to get sent off, I wish he would have like really like hit him harder in the face. Really I don't know. Him. I still think that would be playing down to what Lamella's level is, which is Oh, man. I, know, I, I know at least every United fan wanted to hit him really hard in the face. Even Spurs fan were kind of embarrassed to have him on the team. Like I have some friends like Sungmin. He's a big Spurs fan. He he was telling me, he's like, we got to transfer Lamella out of here. He's like, that's ridiculous. He's like, why? You can't be that representing like, the team like that. That is equivalent of Mourinho like hitting, uh, what's his name, Pinto in the Pinto. back of the head. <laughs> no, I feel like this is, actually, no, that's, that's uh, we're, we're not going to compare level of, uh, you know, I guess badness or like just bad decisions mm-hmm. um, or like just, you know, losing their temper. But I feel like Lamella, this is just ridiculous. Like he was so methodical of just falling down. He he literally had to think as he was dropping to the ground, Man, like slowly. He's like, do I, I fake this? Don't... Do I fake this? All right, I'm faking oh it. Gosh. All right. <laughs> what? That, that like, was a disgrace. And that I'm like, actually on the ref at certain points. I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> and that, that red card basically like just opened the game open. At that point, like United's defense was all already crumbling, and that red card just sent it over over the edge. That's how you Tottenham were able to score like their four plus goals after that. But yeah, that re- red card just ruined the game. It there's just no way United could have come back from that. But God, they just looked horrible. And th- this brings me to my point. I think. I made the kind of the hot take of like, oh, we need to get potch, we need to get potch. But like I said, it's the board. I mean, you know, are if we bring in like a Pochettino type coach, are they really going to back him? Are they legitimately going to actually back him? Because if they don't, it's just going to be the same thing we see over and over again. Um, you know, whether Solskjaer is the man or not, it's looking like more likely that he's not because the team has just looked very dysfunctional and um, and such. But It'll just be a shame if he gets sacked because 
yeah, the, the performances haven't been good, but like I said, I think it's the, the onus is more on the board. Um, the, the board just haven't done a good job of supplying him the players he needs to be successful. And yeah, I, um, it'll be a shame that Stolshar will probably at the end of the day get the ax for um, this season and the board will just get away. They just get away with doing doing the same stuff over and over again. But yeah, it was a tough day for United, but mm-hmm. I don't An know. Equally tough day for Liverpool. Yeah. <laughs> you want to make that transition. Yeah. But geez Louise. Um, I was not expecting I this. Watch, I didn't even watch the Liverpool game. I took a nap after the United <laughs> game. I was like, I cannot. I, I just don't want to like. I don't blame you. Um, I don't want to think. I I decided to watch this game obviously since I'm a Liverpool fan, but I mean within the first twenty thirty minutes, I was I you kind of got the the gist. It's like all right, I don't think Liverpool are in it for this match. Like Adrian, yikes! What a nightmare of a game. This is probably one of the worst showings of a goalkeeper I've seen. Dude, what is and goalkeepers just being bad? It's just year? like we we have this curse where it's like unless it's Ali Sun, it's just oh Liverpool keepers are just kind of rough and. You know, Adrian, he kind of got by last season, but I feel like this season is really showing that we really do need a better backup keeper. But man, like some like that first goal, he just made a, a poor back pass to not a poor back pass, but like a side pass that was very casual to Gomez. And you know, Ali Watkins managed to slot in a steal from Grealish. But kind of little things like that, those mistakes are something you don't really see from a Liverpool side too often. And then for Liverpool to concede to concede seven goals. Yeah, I came in like speak. I'm like, what the, the heck? Aston Villa. It just Villa, doesn't make sense even- in my brain. I'm like, wait, we lost two to seven to Aston Villa? I mean, oh, props to my work friend, uh, Matt, who's <laughs> a Villa fan. He's probably going off right now. He's like, yes, there you go. Oh, yeah. And um, uh, Kevin Egan. And Kevin Egan. They're probably like on the moon right now. But I mean, I have to say kudos to this Aston Villa side who played very well. Like they're mm-hmm. just like a unit and it's not a surprise that they still have this perfect record. But even then for Liverpool, for them to concede, concede seven in with a team like this, I mean, they didn't have Mane going into the game because of COVID. But, you know, Diogo Jota, he he's definitely a good replacement for this game, at least. And this is just it, they weren't organized they weren't really it just looked really sloppy in the back like defense just went out the window for some reason like this is something that yesterday i kind of noticed where i feel like it's these big teams man city liverpool manchester united chelsea yeah chelsea we've all had games where we concede big all of a sudden like this is the first time in premier league history where manchester united and liverpool have conceded six plus goals in the same weekend which is not too surprising sense. this is the first, but also it's surprising that it even happened. I so, know that, that there was a funny thing is like, there's no, like this United fan, like, nah, there's no way we lost 6-1 and still not the most shocking result of the weekend. Like, <laughs> what the heck? That's how crazy this was. And then Wild. Liverpool just like one-upped them in the wrong way. Yeah, but there's I mean, a funny joke. Um, United lost 6-1. Liverpool was like, you'll never walk alone. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> well, at least we're both having a very rough weekend. I literally texted Yush the second Liverpool loss and I was like this could be a very rough weekend a very rough podcast to record <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot to take in and uh but geez Louise this was just not what I was expecting you know at least Spurs they're a, a decent side not even decent like they're just above you know the pack but yeah, Aston Villa United a team that almost got relegated 
United went down 10 men. We had like refrigerator man being our center back. But I was like, dang, how did you guys concede seven with like Van Dyke and Robertson? And, we had uh, the full squad Ronald. basically. Like besides Adrian, it's like, geez. I don't even know what to say. I mean, yeah. it's just not even like one person making a mistake. This was like the whole team was bad. I it was, I was gonna say there there have been instances where um this whole Liverpool team um I, when it comes defensively, I made some weird mistakes. I know Robertson had that own goal. Van Dyke cost you know cost them a goal against Leeds. Joe Gomez in particular hasn't looked the most sharpest. Um, I know a lot of people on Twitter were kind of calling out Joe Gomez. Um, saying like this dude really isn't all that and we kind of need to get a new center back in um, sometime soon. Do you think Joe Gomez is like kind of bad? No, or- I still I still think he's good. I, like I think he has tendencies to kind of make these errors, but I feel like you know it's not a mistake that or a fluke that Liverpool did so well last season with these same players. I think they still have it in them. I think it's just it's just a different mindset now this season where you know they're not really chasing they're being chased and they're the number one team i feel like it's a whole different way that Klopp needs to motivate the team and really keep them in check because also they don't have the crowd with them to really keep them in check where if they can see the goal and there's a crowd they definitely would have been like whoa whoa we're liverpool we can't be doing this yeah but without that reminder without that reminder of those fans being there yeah, it's like they're about the people shouting at the other team too to really like kind of lower their confidence and really show how big of a team Liverpool is. I really think it's kind of given the teams that maybe don't have as big fan bases or maybe don't really have as much history and like pedigree really a, a more even playing field. And then maybe that's why Aston Villa was able to kind of compound their lead and make it such a crazy number. And that's why you also see certain teams like Everton doing so well and Aston Villa and then you see teams that are like Man City doing so poorly as to their standards because I mean usually don't really have as much fans in the stadium anyway but (laughs) 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 it's a little thing here and there but I mean this is also why you see you know Liverpool like slipping up in these kind of situations and also Man U near the relegation zone (laughs) it just um you know that I feel like there's a lot of factors I think it's the short Preseason, there's barely been any type of training that these teams have been able to do before the season started. Lack of fans have been putting pressure, have made basically made it more relaxed the environment when it comes to playing because there's not that added pressure of fans booing you or jeering you on or cheering you on or whatever. And also, I think the new laws that have been implemented, the the new handball law, where it's basically if the ball strikes your hand, it's automatic penalty. Um has just made it to where it's easier to be an attacker now than it is to be a defender. And now uh, we saw in the first two weekends that a lot of the goals that were being scored were penalties off of handballs and such. And that's been adding to the um, the complexities of the defense and such. So I think there's just been a multitude of factors, but I, I think the new handball rule is a lot to play into it. But also I think it's the fact that there hasn't been a really clear long preseason that this that these clubs are able to get these players trained up properly and get them fit um, correctly and get their minds in the right attitude and such instilled. I think it was just it was such a quick turnaround from what the season ended last from Project Restart that this was going to ha- this was going to be inevitable and you know it's fun for us because we're seeing like really fun results but it's definitely taken a toll on these clubs and players but. I wanted to say, 
Um, I was listening to Tim Howard talk about this game, and he was saying that he's tired of seeing these goalkeepers when they're out of form. It, he sees he seems like all these new goalkeepers now when they're out of form, it's like they want to continue playing out the back or um, continue to show off how good they are with their feet. Tim Howard made a point of saying if I was out of form or whenever I was out of form in my career, I would just basically shut off the trying to play out the back, just get the ball booted as far as I can. Um, and do all the simple stuff correctly until I build up that confidence again. And that was kind of his recommendation to a lot of these keepers like Kepa, um, Adrienne, and everyone else that if you're out of form, quit trying to play out the back and show off, you know, your foot skills and such. Just do the simple things correctly and that can kind of help bring back your form as a goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. So Adrian's listening. That's another, <laughs> yeah. another reminder, but... I think At that was point. interesting because I think like I, I I do agree with them. I think when we see keepers get out of form, I think we start to see a lot of them try to play out the back and try to overdo it to mm-hmm. us to an extent and not just stick to the simple stuff that got them to where they were. I think so too. And I feel like it's a bit of having the manager kind of remind them. It's like, hey, we're gonna play out the back and like that kind of stick into the head. It's like I gotta do what I've been told to do. And then pass it to freaking Grealish. But mm-hmm. I mean, there is a certain point where you kind of have to use your own, you know, common sense and your own abilities and belief in your abilities. And then pull an Ederson. He's like, you know what? I can, I'm going to belt it. <laughs> yeah. So I guess like a little mix in between. But, you know, at the same time, you're at these big clubs for a reason. And it's like, I feel like physical ability and athletic ability is one, but also it's like just the decision making, the mental ability. It's like, Sometimes they got to rely on that. And, you know, I feel like right now, some of these goalkeepers that we've been highlighting throughout these podcast episodes, like I feel like there's a different goalkeeper every week where it's like, man, I mean, some more than others like Kepa, but there's always a new keeper here and there that's like, all right, what what were they thinking? (laughs) Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just been a, a terrible day for keepers this past weekend. Not a good, good showing for goalkeepers in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that, that is, uh, that was kind of it, what we had for the transfer deadline day special. Um, a lot of moves that happened within a lot of these Premier League clubs. Um, and you know, it was fun to kind of do this. This is our, I think our first time we ever did a, a transfer deadline day episode on the day of transfer deadline. Um, we kind of always just record on our normal days, but we were both free and we thought, you know, today would be a good time to do one of these special pods, but yeah, it was an interesting one because both of our clubs got smacked, so it was. A yeah, we also saddening. had to add that. Just yeah, depression. Exactly, <laughs> and yeah, it was just interesting. But if anything, this first couple of weeks have shown us that this is going to be an exciting and very unpredictable and fun Premier League season. And I think, no matter who you support, who you support, this is just going to be fun to watch in general. Even if your club does bad, you know we're going to be excited to see what these results hold because. This season has basically been so fun, so fun to watch. But yeah, that kind of wraps up um, season three, episode ninety-one for us. Please make sure to rate, comment, subscribe, um, follow us on our social media pages at the Premier Pod. Leave us a rating and review if you'd like on Apple Podcasts. It helps us out if you do. But yeah, thank you guys so much for um, listening on, and we appreciate it. See you guys next time. Peace. Peace.